it's worth looking at your own controls that surround discounting to the extent you use distributors, marketing reimbursement, making sure that these are all documented. And no matter what controls you have in place, they still have to be followed. They still have to be adhered to with a true culture of compliance underneath it as a foundation. Global companies face unprecedented risks and challenges in today's economy. To mitigate these legal and economic risks, companies are rapidly embracing and elevating the importance of robust ethics and compliance programs to promote positive corporate citizenship. On Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, you'll hear from industry leaders and insiders about how to create effective ethics and compliance programs that will mitigate risks and maximize financial performance. Here's your host, Michael Volkov. Welcome. This is Michael Volkoff. This is episode 253 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. And today we're going to talk about a deep dive into the Oracle SEC FCPA enforcement action. Now, I've been meaning to get to this. It's an important enforcement action, and there's a lot of lessons learned with regard to distributors, third-party risks, and uh, the overall handling of this case. Oracle is unique because Oracle is now a recidivist in the SEC's mind. What we don't know at this point is whether or not Oracle is going to be prosecuted by the Justice Department for this same conduct. There's no indication of a declination, no indication of an ongoing investigation, but the conduct seems to be such that DOJ would get involved, and it may be that there are negotiations going on with DOJ at this time. So let's talk about this case. Oracle settled with the SEC for $23 million. And this was, like I said, its second FCPA case in 10 years. Oracle agreed to pay $23 million to resolve allegations that its subsidiaries in Turkey, India, and the UAE maintained slush funds to bribe foreign officials. Ten years ago, in 2012, Oracle paid the SEC $2 million for creating millions of dollars in off-the-books accounts at its India subsidiary. The interesting distinction here between the conduct of Oracle in this case, this enforcement action, is they could actually prove that money was used for bribery purposes. In the Oracle case in India 10 years ago, in 2012, they only could show that there were slush funds or funds that were off the books, and they had no actual proof that bribes were paid in India. But this situation is far different. They have bribery payments that were made in addition to the slush funds. So Oracle agreed to pay $8 million in disgorgement and a $15 million penalty. Like I said, we don't know about DOJ's investigation and what's going on with regard to that. Between 2009 and 2019, Oracle used both direct and indirect sales models, including the use of value-added distributors and value-added resellers. In the direct sales model, Oracle would sell, just like it sounds, directly to a customer. In the indirect, they went through third parties, distributors, or value-added resellers to sell to the customer. And the indirect sales model obviously increased the risks of abuse and creation of improper slush funds. Over a five-year period, Oracle employees based in India, Turkey, and the UAE used discounting schemes and sham marketing reimbursement payments to finance slush funds held at Oracle's channel partners in those markets. 
the slush funds were used to bribe foreign officials and secure other benefits for foreign officials, such as paying for travel and lodging to allow them to attend technology conferences, some of which were in the United States. Now, in reaching the settlement, the SEC took into account the fact that Oracle voluntarily disclosed the misconduct, implemented remedial measures, and cooperated fully with the SEC staff. With respect to cooperation, Oracle shared facts discovered in the course of its internal investigation, voluntarily provided translations of key documents, and facilitated the staff's requests to interview current and former employees of Oracle's from foreign subsidiaries. Its remediation looked pretty extensive in terms of we're seeing more effort now in the remediation area or more requirements with regard to changes in personnel, like disciplining personnel or managers or people who are responsible for oversight. Here, the uh, remediation included terminating of senior regional managers and other employees involved in the misconduct and separating from employees. I like how they use separating when it's not termination from employees with supervisory responsibilities over the misconduct. They also terminated distributors and resellers involved in the misconduct, enhanced its global compliance risk and controls functions, including the creation of over 15 new positions and teams at headquarters and globally. They improved its controls over the discount approval process and the entire discounting procedures, increased oversight and control of the purchase requisition approval process, limited financial incentives and business courtesies available to third parties, particularly those involving government projects, improved its customer registration and payment checking process and making other enhancements related to annual technology conferences, enhanced its proactive audit functions, introduced measures to improve the level of expertise and quality of its partner network and reduce the number of partners within its network, enhance the procedures for engaging third parties, including the due diligence processes to which partners are subjected, implemented a compliance data analytics program, and enhanced training and communications provided to employees and third parties regarding anti-corruption, internal controls, and other compliance issues. Well, the settlement for $23 million, in my mind, underscores the power of the FCPA provisions which mandate effective internal controls and accurate books and records. As everyone knows, these provisions can be applied to a wide range of conduct beyond foreign bribery. But the SEC recognizes the power of those provisions and has used them in a variety of settings. So Oracle now has fallen under the enforcement sword twice. And the really instructive part about this enforcement action, and we're going to go into some of the details here, is managing third-party distributor risks. And this is perhaps a textbook example of some of the risks that we've seen in other cases, but I always uh, constantly harp on with regard to third parties, particularly in the software, medical device areas, pharmaceuticals. These are areas where we can see lots of sort of incentives for slush funds. The other interesting part about this that's really instructive, and uh, I would urge you to read the decision or the settlement agreement, is the fact that they had controls in place for discounting. They had a multi-tiered level for discount approvals, but nonetheless, it was like the controls were there, they were on paper, but they really weren't being enforced. And that shows to me that you can design whatever controls look great, 
But without a culture of compliance and commitment by the business, this is the type of situation you're going to run into. So if there's anything that Oracle should have learned is that once they were burned, they really should have undertaken a broad remedial effort and probably would have saved $23 million, but also spent the money earlier in enhancing its program and maybe avoided this mess. So let's dig into a little bit of this sales model and what exactly happened in terms of the discount schemes and things like that. Between 2014 and 2019, they used not only the Oracle subsidiaries in India, Turkey, and UAE used discount schemes and marketing reimbursement payments to maintain slush funds. And we've always talked about marketing reimbursement programs and how those have to be accounted for clearly and their ways to circumvent the controls that Oracle just experienced. Oracle exercised control over its subsidiaries from its central headquarters, and in the, the employees at Oracle subsidiaries reported up to the parent through specific lines of business heads who set financial and business performance targets by region or territory, not by country or subsidiary. So we talked about the indirect and direct sales model. And remember, we had the value-added distributors and value-added resellers, VADs and VARs. And Oracle onboarded channel partners, and they had a globally defined due diligence process that was implemented at the regional and country levels. And Oracle subsidiaries were only allowed to work with VADs or VARs that were approved by the Oracle partner network. And they used, like I said, a three-tier system for approving discounts above designated amounts for specific products. Every discount had to be supported by a legitimate business reason. Depending on the level of the discount, designated managers at the regional or headquarter level had to approve the proposed discount. In many cases, discounts were approved when needed for a customer, when the customer would say, we need this discount because we have a budgetary cap or to meet a competitor's offer. Oracle's discount policy did not require a requester to submit documentation to support the request. Now, Oracle subsidiary employees circumvented these discount requirements by providing larger discounts than required for legitimate business reasons. As a result, with the assistance of the VADs and VARs, Oracle subsidiaries were able to create slush funds for illicit purposes. The channel partners profited from the scheme by keeping a portion of the excess deal margin. So let's talk for a minute about the marketing reimbursements, and then we'll get into a country-by-country country review. Oracle allowed its sales employees to request purchase orders to reimburse VADs and VARs for certain marketing expenses. As long as the purchase orders were less than $5,000, first-level supervisors could approve the payment without any documentation. For example, in Turkey, Oracle sales employees arranged to reimburse VADs and VARs for a total of $115,200 in 2018 using individual purchase orders that were each under the $5,000 threshold. And Oracle subsidiaries in Turkey and the UAE used this scheme to increase funds to VARs and VADs and thereby increase the slush funds. And the direct supervisors involved in the schemes approved these orders. So let's talk about Turkey now and the Oracle subsidiary there because most of the conduct occurred there. During the period 2009 to 19, Oracle Turkey used the excessive discounts and sham marketing reimbursements 
to create slush funds at its two VADs. Oracle Turkey employees referred to the accounts as Havas, which means pool, or Kumbra, Kumbara, which means monkey box, and used the accounts for improper purposes. So the Oracle Turkey employees routinely use the slush fund funds to pay for travel or lodging expenses for end-user customers, including foreign officials, to attend technology conferences. In some instances, the funds were used to pay for travel and lodging of foreign officials' spouses and children and for side trips to Los Angeles and Napa Valley. Oracle Turkey's management, including the country leaders, knew about and condoned the practice. Now, in one particular case in 2018, Oracle Turkey sought to win a valuable contract with Turkey's Ministry of Interior, MOI, to establish an emergency call system for Turkey. Oracle Turkey employees, with the knowledge of the country leader, arranged for a week-long trip to California for four MOI officials paid from the VAT account. The meeting was allegedly for a meeting at Oracle's headquarters with a senior executive, but that meeting only lasted 15 to 20 minutes. For the rest of the week, the MOI officials were entertained in Los Angeles and Napa Valley. To fund the trip, a Turkey employee requested a large discount, and Oracle was subsequently awarded the valuable emergency service contracts. To fund the trip, there was a large contract, like I said, claiming that it was needed to meet competition. The same Turkey employees were involved in paying bribes to officials at Turkey's Social Security Institute. Oracle Turkey arranged for a large discount based on the unsubstantiated discount to fund bribes to the relevant government officials. The same employee used a VAR to create a slush fund for an intermediary and SSI officials related to the database infrastructure project. From 2014 to 2019, let's go to UAE. Oracle UAE sales employees used excessive discounts and marketing reimbursement payments to maintain slush funds again at VARs. The sales employees referred to them as a wallet and used the funds to pay for travel and accommodations for foreign officials to attend Oracle conferences. In 2018 and 2019, an Oracle UAE sales account manager for a UAE state-owned entity paid $130,000 in bribes to this chief technology officer of the UAE state-owned entity in return for six different contracts. The first three bribery payments were funded with the assistance of two VARs using excessive discounts. The bribes were paid by an unauthorized UAE entity. For the other three contracts, the unapproved UAE entity was used to pay the bribes as well. In India, in 2019, Oracle India sales employees used an excessive discount scheme with a state-owned transportation company. To fund the scheme, the employee secured a 70% discount on the project, claiming that intense competition required such a large discount. An Oracle manager in France approved the discount without requiring any documented justification. The Indian SOE's website indicated that there was no competition for the contract. Another Oracle employee maintained a spreadsheet showing that $67,000 was the buffer available for making bribery payments to a specific Indian government official. So a total of $330,000 was funneled to an entity with a reputation for paying bribes to state-owned entity officials, and another $62,000 was paid to an entity controlled by several Oracle sales employees. 
And the theory being that all of this money ended up with government officials to secure this valuable contract. So that's a review of the Oracle case. Again, it's an important case for lessons learned with regard to third-party distributors. It's worth reading. It's worth looking at your own controls that surround discounting to the extent you use distributors, marketing reimbursement, making sure that these are all documented. And no matter what controls you have in place, they still have to be followed. They still have to be adhered to with a true culture of compliance underneath it as a foundation. Because as the Oracle case demonstrates, you can write lots of controls out there. You can have lots of great policies and procedures. But if there's no culture of compliance, people are going to find ways to circumvent them. So anyways, that's a good look at an important case. And we'll be back next week with another important podcast episode. Thanks again to everybody and stay well, stay healthy, and stay in touch. If you enjoyed this episode, the best way to support the show is by subscribing on your favorite listening platform. To learn more and connect with Michael Volkov, go to volkovlaw.com.